Today, I want to talk about the gospel message of Jesus. When Jesus preached the gospel, what was it? So if I was to ask you, if somebody was to say to you, what is the gospel? What does it mean? What's, what's Christianity about? What's the gospel? You might give something like this. You might say, because of God's love for us, Jesus, the Son of God, came to earth. He died and paid the price for everything we've done wrong so that we can be free and live forever with him. All we have to do is to put our trust in him. Is that a good summary? It's not bad. I mean, you may do better, but but that's, that's just a fairly good summary. Um, so there's nothing wrong with that. But I want to focus today on an interesting question. Um, how did Jesus explain the gospel? Because he hadn't died yet. He couldn't say, you know, I died on the cross to pay the price for your sins. There were a few references to his death, but it really wasn't explicit. Um, can anybody tell me what Jesus' gospel message was, what the heart of his message was? Relationship, okay, that was core to it. He certainly said repent. He certainly said repent. That was half of it. Yeah? He said, came to save us. He, he, he did say that. But what did he actually tell people to do? Believe in his word. But there's something much more explicit, yeah? Just a second. To love each other. Yep. Yep. Leave everything you have and follow me. Now that word there is actually the key word. Jesus, the core of Jesus' message was, follow me. And uh, he said it to fishermen spreading their nets. He said, follow me, leave what you're doing uh, and follow me. He said it to women who risked social disapproval and leaving where they were and following him. He said it to tax collectors who, um, he called them to leave the the work that they were doing, which was, or leave leave the the kind of work which was, which was basically defrauding people to follow him. Uh, He said it to a very wealthy man. And in order for this particular man to follow Jesus, he actually had to give up his wealth. And so, Jesus' statement was, follow me. And he, his command to follow me didn't just mean like walk along beside me. It meant something much more than that. And I want to illustrate this from, by talking about event, an event that was in the news in England. And I'm going to call it GPS fail. Robert Jones said he trusted his navigational system and continued to follow it when it told him the steep, narrow footpath he was driving on was a road. That's where he ended up. I don't know if you can see that very clearly. Um, uh, he, his BMW nearly plunged down a 100-foot cliff in Todmorden, West Yorkshire, on Sunday. He was stopped from falling only after the vehicle rammed into a wire fence. Police and rescue teams spent nine hours recovering his car from the incident. And he's, he, uh, so he, he followed this little footpath. He's, uh, he ended up by nearly killing himself. Uh, the report said this 43-year-old who works as a driver said 
he relies on his GPS for his job and described the recent incident as a nightmare. He told the Halifax Evening Count Courier, it kept insisting the path was a road, even it was, as it was getting narrower and steeper, so I just trusted it. You don't expect to be taken nearly off a cliff. Mr. Jones added, I guess I'm just lucky the car didn't slip all the way over the edge. Mr. Jones now faces court action for driving without due care and attention. So I want to talk today about following Jesus, and and I'm going to explain in a minute why I think this is a good illustration. But this was Jesus' main message. He called many people to follow him. And the question I want to focus on this, this morning is what it means to follow Jesus. What does it mean? And I think this is a particularly good example, this one with the GPS, because he was, uh, it, following someone is about putting your trust in someone. And the real problem with Robert Jones was that he was putting his trust in something that was broken and not deserving of trust. Um, so, so following means to believe, it means to, to, uh, to go with, but really it means to, to do, to obey, to do what they say. And so, um, this is an example because Jesus, when he said, follow me, he's saying, I am your guide. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the one who's giving you direction. And if we're really following Jesus, and it turns out that Jesus is not the way, then we are in trouble, just like this man was in trouble. Uh, so I want to suggest this morning that there are four ways in which we follow Jesus. Four ways. The first is leadership. The second is allowing him to have control. The third is the cost. And the last one is death, or what seems like it. So I want to start off by talking about leadership, what it means to follow Jesus. As I said, um, John 14, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So he claims to be a leader. Now, following a leader involves two things, at least two things. It believes, it, it means that you believe and trust in them. You actually have confidence in them. And then following that, you actually do what they, they ask you to do. If someone, if someone is your leader and you don't do what they ask you to do, you're not they're not behaving as your leader. And uh, this is an exclusive claim that Jesus is making. He's, uh, you, if, if, you, if he is your leader, then no one else is your leader. You're, he is the one who is, you are following. Now, I want to give uh, an example from this. A number of years ago, um, Anne and I decided to go uh, to, to spend a, week sled, a weekend dog sledding. We're, we're not dog people, so this was a new experience for us. And it was in January, and we went to Algonquin Park, and uh, we, we were trained on how to do it. We had a team of dogs, so Anne and I had our own sled and our own team of six dogs. And uh, we were taught all about how, how it works and how dog sledding works. And we were told that um, 
that in dog sledding, it's, dogs are pack animals, and every pack has a leader. That's how they work. The pack of dogs has a leader, and if you, if you don't provide leadership for them, they're going to pick a leader amongst themselves, and that leader's going to be the one that, that they follow, and you're in trouble. So you have to make sure that you are the one who's leading them. And primarily, you have to connect with the dog who's the leader of this team of dogs, and then you provide leadership for him, and then he provides leadership for the other one. So um, we were introduced to our team of dogs, and we had to do everything. We had to harness them up and everything. And uh, so here's our team of dogs, and um, you might guess the one on the front right is the leader, and he's called Luke. So we this was Luke, and we had to uh, I, we had to establish this relationship with Luke, who is the leader. So this is how he's done. Here's an, another dog. He is not a leader. He's not paying attention. But Luke was watching all the time because he realized pretty soon that he had to look to me for the for the commands, and he was paying attention and he watched me closely every single thing, movement, everything I said he would do. And so if I would say slow down, Luke, the whole team would slow down. If I said uh, faster, he would go faster. And if we were stopped and I said, let's go, Luke, we would be off. And so he was constantly watching me to take his instructions from me. Um, and um, so after a while, we, we, it was just amazing. It was just driving through snow, sunny day, totally quiet except for the noise of the, the snow on the sled. And uh, we, after a while, um, I said to Anne, why don't you have a go driving? I'll get down in the sled. You have a go driving. So we changed positions. And so we're all ready. And uh, Anne says to Luke, let's go, Luke. Nothing happens. Let's go, Luke. Nothing happens. Luke looks at me. I said, Luke, let's go. Vroom, we're off. Uh, so he, there was a very clear, in Luke's mind, there was a very clear uh, chain of command. And there he is looking around. Uh, after a, a, not too long, he, we, we got him to understand that Anne was now the leader and he should take his commands from Anne and that worked fine. Um, but the whole idea of leadership and of, of being watching and attentive and taking that instruction from the leader was very, very clear. Um, just to give you a cute picture at the end of the day when they got some rest. So, uh, I would say then that uh, if somebody's a leader, allowing them to have control is a key part of what it means to be a leader. Giving someone the ability to make choices on your behalf, it takes trust. It takes confidence in them, and but that is a key part of leadership. Um, human beings can't stand being out of control. Um, I, I, some of you may have heard the story before, but a number of years ago, I was in the UK and uh, staying with some friends, and one of them had a job at Heathrow Airport in the, the pilot training set, uh, area. And uh, he had access to the professional pilot training facilities, and which were booked like almost 24 hours a day. But he said to me, you know what, Andrew, I think there might be a space in the simulator like after midnight tonight. I could get you in there to fly one of the planes. Would you, would you like it? 
I said, sure, that would be amazing. So we went in there, and sometime after midnight, there was a, some time unbooked for a jumbo jet 747 simulator. And this was, uh, this was like the real thing. It was a full cockpit you're in, and it was in a room about this big with hydraulic jacks that could throw the cockpit around the room to give you the sense of, of movement. And the dis- it was a nighttime simulator, th- so the display had a very kind of detailed, dark but detailed view of stars and of, of lights. And um, so my friend John was in the a co-pilot seat, and I was in the pilot seat, and they had a flight engineer um, to, to work the, the controls. So we took off from Heathrow, which is pretty amazing, and we're flying up, and it's just so, it just feels like so realistic. And uh, and I said, you know, I, I would like to try doing a roll, because in theory, you should be able to roll a jumbo jet. You don't see it very often, but, you know, it should work in theory. And um, I, I kind of played around on a sim in a small simulator before, and I knew kind of rough what to do. And so they took us up to 50,000 feet, and I knew the problem with doing a roll was the nose could go down, you know, to keep the nose up. So anyway, I started doing the roll, and we got halfway round, and the nose was dropping. I was trying to pull it up and my friend John just completely lost control. He was grabbed the controls from me and he was fighting me and I was fighting him and London is spinning around beneath us and we're plummeting down to the ground and uh, eventually I managed to pull him off the controls and I managed to, to grab control and we pull out of this dive and we survive. As you can see, I'm here today and we survive and manage to, to land the plane. So what is that story about? It's because there's something in us that so hates to be out of control. That so we've got like we've got to be in control, and when we're not in control, there's something that is just terrifying for us. And the frightening thing about following somebody and giving them that authority is, can we trust them to be in control? Can we really trust that they are going to be in control? And Jesus says, "I want to trust you." I want you to trust me enough to give me control. So I talked about leadership and allowing him to have control is one of the core ways that that works. So the next thing I want to talk about is the cost. And then we're going to finish off by talking about death. So the cost And here we're going to look at our scripture for today, which is Luke chapter 14. And this is an example of Jesus' gospel preaching. Um, Actually, before I I show you that, um, you know what a sales pitch is, don't you? You know when, if you're working sales, you've got some pitch you're given. This is why you should buy this product and all the things you're going to get from it. This product's so good, you'll feel great if you have it. Life will be easier. And this is how a sales pitch works. Um, When we look at this passage here, you'll see Jesus' sales pitch for the gospel. And you'll think, he's not had very good training. This isn't a very good sales pitch. So let's see what it is. Now, large crowds were accompanying Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. We'll talk about this in a minute, what what this means. Whoever does not carry his own cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, wanting to build a tower doesn't sit down first and compute the cost 
to see if he has enough money to complete it. Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and is not able to finish the tower, all who see it will begin to make fun of him. They will say, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to confront another in battle, will not sit down first and determine whether he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000. If he cannot succeed, he will send a representative while the other is still a long way off and ask for terms of peace. In the same way, therefore, not one of you can be my disciple if he does not renounce all his own possessions. So here you have Jesus' sales pitch. What do you think about that? Is that... um, Is that the kind of thing that's going to attract a lot of people? Well, it did. And we'll talk later on why so many people followed him. And, of course, after he died, joined the church and followed him. So let's go back and look at the verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children, brothers and sisters, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, Jesus never taught hating people. Jesus never said we should hate people. So what this is, is this about? It's a figure of speech where you're, you're comparing two things and he's saying that, that following me should be so much more important than those other things in your, in your life that is, it's almost as if you hate them comparatively with how much you're putting on this. It, he, we're not literally hating people. We're literally, Jesus said, we should love everyone, even our enemies. But comparatively speaking, uh, our, our attention and our affections on, on pursuing him should be so much higher. And then he says in verse 26, uh, sorry, verse 27, whoever does not carry his own cross and follow me cannot me be my disciple. Now he hadn't died on the cross at this point and there was no hint that he was going to, uh, but People would have known in those days what it meant to carry your cross because if somebody was crucified, they actually had to carry the cross that were going to be crucified to the place of crucifixion. And it's uh, what Jesus is, is using this as an image that uh, there's a kind of death that's going to have to happen, that you actually actually um, taking on this kind of death that I'll talk about in just one minute. So we have hating your everything, including yourself, carrying this cross. And then he gives three examples. The first is building a tower and not having the money to finish it. You know that happened along Wellesley Street not long ago. Just Wellesley and Parliament, there was a high rise and they excavated it. They put the basement in. They put the first floor in, and then they ran out of money. And for 10 years, there was a high rise with a fence around it, and it was kind of, kind of almost like a joke. Well, eventually, they, someone, they sold it to somebody, and it was, it, the, whole, the rest of it was built. Now, that can happen. And he, what he's saying here is, um, don't like think you want to follow me, and you don't really know what it's about, because... The cost of following me is going to cost you everything. It's going to cost you everything. You need to really understand this. And the same picture, really, with the uh, with the the, the king. Uh, he says, um, you know, uh, assess in advance whether you've got whether you really want to commit to this, uh, and don't go go into it unless you're willing to commit to it. Um, so then, in verse thirty three. 
In the same way, therefore, not one of you can be my disciple if he does not renounce all his possessions. Now, Jesus never taught that we should not have possessions. Jesus never taught that. And, uh, but what, what he's saying here is that whatever I have, um, I'm looking after it for Jesus. It belongs to him. So I have a house. Um, but I, I have a house, but I don't treat it as my own. It belongs to Jesus. And so I use it for him. I have a car. But it's actually Jesus' car that I'm looking after for him. So the attitude that everything that we have is actually not ours, but it belongs to him and we're, we're using it for his purposes. So that's what it means by the possessions. So is, is anybody going to go for this? This sales pitch that Jesus has? Is anybody going to go for this? And this is just one example I've given you in Luke 14, but he's got other ones as well. Um, so we can go further. Uh, we've talked about allowing him to have control. We've talked about the cost. But what, what, what's the good bit, Andrew? What, you know, what's going to counterbalance all those? Well, unfortunately, we've got to go further. It's death. And this is the next thing we're going to look at. And I'm going to switch to Mark now, in Mark chapter 8, and we're going to look at a similar kind of passage where Jesus is speaking to the crowd about following him. And you'll see some of it is exactly the same, but he brings in another idea in this passage. Then Jesus called the crowd along with his disciples and said to them, if anyone wants to become my follower, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And then he says, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospel will save it. For what benefit is it for a person to gain the whole world but forfeit his life? So here Jesus is saying that actually we give our lives. There's a kind of death that's involved. In another place, Jesus uses the image of a seed. He said, unless a seed falls into the ground and dies, it won't bring forth fruit. And there's kind of a dying and a life that comes. So the irony is that giving up our freedom like this, what seems like death actually brings us freedom and life. Uh, Giving everything away to Jesus actually brings us far more back than we would have in its place. But there's this point where we have to say, is it worth it? Can I trust him? When I'm thinking about it in my mind, there's an image like jumping out of an airplane with a parachute. I I don't know if any of you have done that. I've not done that. But I can imagine what it's like as you jump out thinking, you know, can I trust this? Is it packed right? I did everything. Is everything done? And you jump out and this is trust. And then you pull the ripcord and everything is okay. But this is, this is point. Like, can I trust him? Um, I'm putting myself in a position where if he doesn't come through, I've lost everything. And that is core to what following Jesus is about. Putting yourself in a place where if Jesus doesn't come through, if he's not true, if it's not right, if this is, this is false, you've lost everything. Just like jumping out of a, pa- a plane and there was something wrong with a parachute. There's a level of risk that you're taking. And if you're not taking a risk, then you're not doing what Jesus is talking about. 
But ultimately, I want to say we end up with everything. We may, it may cost us everything, but we end up with everything and we end up with far more. And now I'm going to take you to a third passage in the scriptures and um, here Jesus is, again, he's speaking. It's the same kind of thing. But now he's telling them some of the other side of the coin. So this is from John chapter 10, and we're going to read starting verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Who All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, and that's the same as coming to me, following me, he will be saved and I will go in and and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So Jesus says here, I came actually to bring you life. Even though you give your life to me, I come to bring you life. And the irony is that it's death that leads to this life. God understands us in a way that no other human possibly could. He understands us better than ourselves. He understands our deepest needs, our deepest longings, and can satisfy us in a way that nothing else can satisfy us. He can bring us what we didn't even know we were longing for and satisfy the thirsty, the hungry heart. He told the woman he met at Samaria that he um, he could give her to drink a water that she would never thirst again, and it would spring up into everlasting life. Jesus has the water that can satisfy us. And so it can seem on the surface that giving everything to Jesus is a bad idea. But following him actually is the best possible idea. Following him, we have true life. Following him, we become the person, we can become the person that he actually destined us to be. And what looks like restriction, giving uh, giving our freedom to him, actually gives us back a much greater freedom than we had, because we're then free to become the person that we were destined to be. True freedom is in him. So uh, the two questions here, first, how we start following Jesus, and then how we continue following him. Well, if we want to start following Jesus, if we're not following him right now, the core, I would say, is to trust him as your leader, to trust him as your leader, just as that Luke, the lead dog on the sled, trusted me totally about where we were going, what we were doing uh, and he just looked to me, we trust Jesus as the one who's leading us, that his teaching is the right teaching. So that's the first thing, if we want to follow him. The second thing is, um, once we do that, everything else comes to us as he gives us strength. In fact, once we've trusted him as our leader, he gives us the strength to do to follow him in a way that we couldn't do otherwise. And all we have to do simply is to pray and say, Jesus, I want to follow you, I surrender my life to you. I want to follow you, I surrender my life to you. That is how we begin the journey of following Jesus.
But of course, ultimately, you can't trust unless you know what you're trusting, unless you know what is this Jesus. And so that's why it's important to read the stories of Jesus in the Bible, to ask him to show you, to reveal to you that he is trustworthy. Now, what if you're a Christian this morning? I want to say to you that it's, un, it's not an all or nothing thing um, in terms of how much you're following him. Because unfortunately, we can begin following Jesus and we're truly saved, but we're really not giving him the life that he's asking us to. There are plenty of Christians who are half-hearted followers. They're, they're following him on in, in some areas, but they just want to make sure that if things don't work out with him, then, you know, they've got their, their bases covered. They keep areas of their lives unsurrendered. In fact, I want to say that all of us have areas of our lives that we need to surrender more. All of us. None of us are a point of perfection in this area. But um, we can have attitudes like, well, Jesus has my Sundays, um, but the rest of the week is mine, except, well, maybe 10 minutes a day for devotions, and that's his. And, you know, we've got, like, we've got our, our partitions of our life, and our life is grouped into areas, and those areas, God can have those areas, but no, this area I need to look after, thank you, because, you know, this is my area. And uh, I want to challenge you to think through yourself, do you have areas in your life where Jesus is not your leader, where you don't really trust him, where you think you need to be the one who is looking after things. A big one of these is my life's goals. What's my life about? Where am I heading in my life? Is this something where um, I have to look after myself or is this really important? I would say this is the most important thing that we can be uh, we can be following Jesus. Now, this doesn't mean to say that Jesus' life goals and my life goals uh, it will amount to the same, you know, uh, are totally different. You know, they're opposite. And he wants me to do the thing that I most hate. And um, uh, I, I met someone once that had told me they had this terrible fear that God was going to ask them to do this. And they knew that he was going to, and they hated doing that. And it turned out he didn't want them to do that. But that, like, they had this idea that, you know, God somehow wanted to do them to do something, and it wasn't what they wanted to do. Um, so uh, we need to make sure that we're not we're not thinking that because God often God will give us uh, gifts and desires because He's awakening us a passion to do something and that's in tune with what He wants us to do. So don't get the idea that somehow you've got to 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 um, uh, not do what you're talented for, what you're good at, what you enjoy doing, because that can't be God's will. No, he may well be leading you. But the whole point is, really, is are you fundamentally looking to give him your life and say, God, I trust you with my direction, my life, where I'm going. I want to give this to you, and I want to surrender this to you in every way. Um, our finances, often there it's an area where, you know, we, we give God this much, but we really don't realize that everything that we have is God's. All of it is God's. And we, it's all, all that we spend is under his authority. Relationships is another thing, you know, is are our relationships submitted to God? Um, but most of all, I would say, if you want to sum this up, is where is my energy? Where is my passion? Where's my focus in life? 
Now, what do I think about? Like, what, what's, what's driving my thoughts? Because that's where we're going to go. If we're thinking about something all the time, that is where our life is going to go. And so, if you're thinking about how does your kingdom work in this situation? Like, where is God? Where, what, what could happen in this that would advance your kingdom? Then, then it will naturally, everything else will follow that. And so I would say your focus, um, your attention, Jesus, how could this work out for you, would be a core thing that everything else can flow for, from. I want to say, because this is something that's been completely misunderstood, Jesus is not against self-care. In fact, Jesus is very much for self-care. Because if you think, my body belongs to him, well, should I not take care of it? Like if it belongs to him, I should take care of it. So Christians should actually be better at self-care than, than people who are not Christians because we should realize that our body belongs to Jesus. It's not our own and we need to take the best care of it. And our minds as well. We need to make sure we're rested. There's a place in, in the Gospels where Jesus said to his disciples, let's come and rest a while. We cannot use what God has given us properly unless we are rested, unless we have sufficient recreation, unless we care for ourselves. So uh, I want to make sure that we don't get into the kind of Christian teaching that is about harshness to ourselves, because that is of no benefit, as as Paul says in Colossians. It's no benefit at all to have that kind of harshness against ourselves. Um, all that we have belongs to him, and... Uh, Following him means our desires and our passion of our life being aligned to him. So I want to just sum this up with a slide, and maybe the worship team could come up now. And uh, we're going to just sum this up. I am a follower of Jesus. What does this mean? If I want to say, I am a follower of Jesus, and I want you to challenge yourself whether you can say this, I have chosen to follow him which means he is my leader. I follow his pattern for my life. And I trust that the cost of doing this, which is death to self, actually leads to life. Is that something you can say? Because that is what it means. That is my summary of what the core of following Jesus is. So I want to sum up then Jesus' teaching. The core of Jesus' teaching was follow me. And follow me... It's about trusting him, but ultimately it's about him being our leader, him being the one who sets the pattern for our life, defines what our goals should be, and also provides the place we're going to, provides an incredible destiny for us, even in this life, which is far, far better than we would have otherwise. So I'm just going to lead us in prayer. And then we're going to close in song. Jesus, as I read your words, I'm convicted by them. And I know there are areas of my life which I need to surrender to you. And we pray, all of us here, as we look at our lives, we pray that you will give us the trust and the faith to surrender all of our lives to you. And we pray that you will give us the joy that you've promised, the abundant life you've promised to us when we do this. Father, we pray that we will know your kingdom in power in our lives, that we will trust you totally, and we will see the joy of
of you answering your promises to us totally now and through eternity. Amen.